Welcome, everybody, to the True Believers Podcast here on the Fandom Podcast Network. It has been a bit since we've seen you and dove into the MCU universe here at the Fandom Podcast Network, but we are back because we got something big to talk about. It is the first film of Phase 5, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is here. Now, during the break, I've been a little busy. I wrote a book about not being an Avenger. Um, read it in a few bookstores and things like that. But somebody else who I know has been really busy, and luckily he didn't get a really supersized head during this little hiatus we had. He, of course, is my brother from another mother, the co-founder of the Fandom Podcast Network, Mr. Kevin Reitzel. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, uh, the last one that we did for True Believers was covering the uh, Galax- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special and uh, played a little bit of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. And apparently... I am uh, a couple of degrees away from him. If you count my wife being in a movie with Corey Feldman. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy new year. All that, all that good stuff. Kevin, I am glad to see that your head has stayed normal size during this time frame. Yeah. I had to have a little shrinking session. So, yeah. However, we can't dive into the quantum universe. Just me and Kevin. Oh no, 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 no. We have got to bring in some special guests to help us discuss the start of Phase 5 of the MCU. And our first guest is somebody who we've had on True Believers before. He is definitely falls under that cat- category of True Believers. He hosts the Star Wars Stuff podcast, the Marvel Stuff podcast, and he's just an all-around good guy, Mr. Dave Lozano. Hey, what's up, everyone? Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy President's Day, Valentine's Day, Black History Month. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I feel I feel like I haven't given my proper holiday representation now for this. <laughs> good to have you, man. Yeah, good. Good to have Thanks. you, David. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it was kind of short notice, but thank you. But we have one more guest here. He, I know he's a big Marvel fan, and of course, you hear him right here on the Fandom Podcast that we're covering all things Star Wars with the crew of the Drunken Gungan. Of course, we are talking about Derek Marsh from What a Piece of Junk. Happy New Year, twenty twenty four. Or wait, is that too oh. far in advance? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Time works differently here in the quantum realm. So <laughs> I guess it just depends, right? But yeah, picking up speed. Yeah, because uh, we've got uh, the big premiere of Mando season three. And we're already yeah. still in the middle of bad, bad season two. So a lot going on in the Star Wars world. But here to talk a little Marvel and super excited since uh, last time I got to talk with you guys when we were covering uh, Moon Knight. So it's been a little while. Well, we are here on, was it, should we just call it Mando Eve, guys? Yes, countdown of less than well, I guess what's it? Three well, three a.m. is when it comes, so seven hours. Yeah, so, so something along those lines. But again, it's the quantum realm; time moves differently. But we have got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. We're going to be diving into Ant Man and the Wasp here shortly. But however, we do have a little bit of MCU news. It's time for snit, thwip, and kapow. Let's get to some MCU news. So, guys, in a recent development, Marvel has pushed back the movie The Marvels, of course, the sequel to Captain Marvel, back to November 10th. It was originally slated for a July release. This has been something that's kind of been happening in the MCU since Bob Igar has come back to Disney and been working with Kevin Feige. It feels like maybe Marvel Studios is kind of just getting off the gas pedal a little bit and slowing down the production of things. We only have three Marvel movies this year, and it looks like possibly two, maybe three shows on Disney Plus, depending on what happens with Echo. So I'm just—I want to get each of your guys' take real quick about where you 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 like the fact that they're moving this back. So there's something in the second half of the year for MCU, 
And how do you feel about what's going on with the MCU right now? With like, it feels like it's kind of a slowdown in production. David, I'm going to actually start with you on this. Yeah, as far as um, Marvel releasing a project like once or twice every few weeks or so, it feels like. Um, I don't know. Uh, if I were back in the 90s, I would love this stuff. But for me as a podcaster now, and I'm trying to keep up with this stuff, I go to every MCU release every opening night every thursday night um and it feels like it's becoming more and more of a chore to kind of keep up um i don't know that's just i guess my lifestyle i guess but uh yeah it seems like when Iger came back and replaced chapek um there was an article or, or two out describing that he was gonna kind of like take the foot off the pedal a little bit with the with the mcu releases um and maybe push the pedal down for Star Wars, which I um, I totally endorse because I'm a Star Wars guy. But uh, I love the MCU as well. But um, there's been not the best fan reaction and critical reaction to some of these uh, films that have come out recently. Phase 4, I guess. Technically, I guess if you read all the comments and critique, um, was probably the worst phase out of out of all the phases that have been released and it's um i think it's i kind of wrestle with it i mean to me it's it's not too much but i think for the general audiences out there i think it might be a little too much to kind of catch up and to keep with with what the storyline is trying to convey and where they're going and all the characters but i think in our bubble i think it's fine but it's it's tough to see some of these reviews and uh, I mean, for Ant Man, Quantum Mania, Ant Man and the Lost Quantum Mania, it's it, it's kind of hard to give like a final judgment on the film for me personally. But uh, yeah. uh, going oh, I, going back going back to what you were saying about pushing pushing stuff back and spreading it out, I, I think it's I think it's a good strategy. Um, I think the question is, was there like kind of more of a rush to push out more content? Uh, more shows and more films or did they actually create the content uh, within uh, a, a decent amount of time and, and not have to just rush everything to get it out? I, I think there's a lot of factors going into this. Kevin, I'm always interested in your perspective because you're not a big comic book reader. So you're not, you, you are going this as strictly I'm watching MCU stuff. And I know you and I have had conversations a little bit about some MCU possibilities of mcu burnout so what are you feeling right now with how things are being handled with the mcu products going forward okay disney mcu star wars big chunk of fat right there is being cut off right now it's a budgetary thing i think as well but also i think we got overinflated uh um time or, or uh, release dates but for both star wars and marvel because of the streaming boom that happened and a lot of thanks to covid because of that no one was going to theater and disney was also trying to push disney plus and get subscribers and everything and now there's kind of like this uh a little bit of burnout probably on both sides to be honest with you uh when it comes to the disney plus programming and what they're kind of giving us in both um Marvel and Star Wars. Marvel, yes, there's definitely a Marvel fatigue that's going on. And I I don't know if it's a, a combination of too much and uh, not enough of what we're used to 
you know, not having an Iron Man, not having a Captain America, um, and just kind of trying to this this new phase and new characters and such. And and I think there's probably a budgetary thing going on too because movie theaters are starting to open up again here. Um, and as David alluded to, not a lot of people kind of taking to a lot of the new material that's coming out. It's not, it's not a must see for a lot of people, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I heard about that series, but you know, kind of a movie guy, I'll just go to the movies or I'm a movie person. And, and as you, as Dave mentioned, some of the, the movies have been a little hit and miss here. So, um, and you and I have been very vocal about that. If not, I know I have. So, but yeah, it's a little bit of everything. But I think there's a trimming of the fat that's happening under the Disney umbrella as it is. I think that's a, that's a very good point you bring about just to trim across the board what's going on with Disney as a whole. But Derek, how do, how do you look at this? Because it was going to be a little weird. We were lined up with for no Marvel movies after July. You had Ant-Man, you have Guardians coming in May in that prime May spot. Then you had um, the Marvels coming out in July, which was a very June and July are very stacked movie-wise th- this year. I think there was a little bit of a gap in November, December for the Marvels to be put into. What What are you feeling here about this move with the Marvels and just what you're seeing with the MCU as a whole right now? Because it does seem like they're kind of moving a lot of pieces on the board at the moment. So I think there's two things, and I think you guys are kind of hitting the mark a little bit. Um, we've talked about it before, too. I think the idea was... Marvel um, or the MCU in itself was trying to establish an entire universe where um, it wasn't just um, Marvel movies, right? You're talking complete shift in genres incorporating the IP of of all the Marvel stuff. So you look at what they were trying to do. And and I think had they been smart about it and trying to, instead of being their secretive ways that they are and come out and just said, Hey, we're going to have this structure where you're going to have all these different pieces. Um, and for you that like this type of movie or genre of whatever, you can follow this path. And for those that like this, you could follow this path. And then for all of us that are nuts and love everything or comic book fans, if we just want to see how it all eventually connects, you know, then we get to get, you know, all encompassing and all that. Um, and I think because they didn't do that, you had a, a mixture of fans um, to what Kevin was talking about. And, you know, you, you couldn't you didn't it didn't follow the MCU formula anymore. And that's what I appreciate about phase four was it was a true reset of the universe. And they didn't come out and say that they just would have said, hey, we're going to have a lot of movies and shows that come out. They're going to have some role into the upcoming phase five and beyond. On, but they're kind of level setting everything after Endgame because you have to think after five years of, of what we were supposed to be with the blip and all this stuff, it should have been more about how is the world dealing with the, all of a sudden these people coming back because really, like I said, we, we skipped five years and we didn't see all that. So now we get all these people back and how does the world of of that we're supposed to be in, in so much involved with or care about how do they deal with this, right? And I think if they would have approached that and just said, hey, we're going to have all this and there's going to be all these, you know, small, subtle ties, but nothing like this big villain announced that everybody kept expecting and blah, 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 and making all these assumptions. I think they really peeved a lot of people off. And I think the second thing is I think they're realizing phase four for them was a failure. And I think to your point that um, you guys were talking about with Iger coming back, I think his command is, hey, Kevin, I love you. You've made me a lot of money, but there's a lot of pissed off people at Disney, not just at Marvel, but at Disney. We need to get our fans back. Let's step back, 
take a deep breath. I know you guys still have this, you know, masterworks going in, everything's going, but let's take it back. Let's decompress. Let's reevaluate what we can do here and try to get the fans back because there has been so much divide. Um, and I think that's what their approach is going to be now. Let's slow the rolls down. Let's really reevaluate what we're trying to do here rather than flooding the market. Let's see what we can do to make sure we're getting that return on investment because I think that's been their biggest issue. You know, they're not hitting a billion dollars in every film and they're not making any money on Disney Plus, right? That's that's at least what we're hearing, right? They're, they're spending more money in production and they're not getting that back. Now, again, they're getting it back in merchandising and everything else. But, you know, I think that's been the biggest thing. Um, of why we're going to see this start to slow down so they can reevaluate, recompress, get the fans back faith in that Marvel can do no wrong. And it's going to take a little while to do that, but I think that's what their their plan is. I I think you guys all have great points. I I think for me, and I've talked about this, I think when you set the bar so high like it was at the end of Phase 3 with Endgame, there's no way you can maintain that level. And I think with Phase 4, a lot of people just were expecting that level just to stay right up there. And Marvel had to reset a little bit. They, you know, you've written out all of these characters, and you, you've got to re kind of do a bit of a reset. And I also think too that there that Marvel did. Oh, and I'm, I, I would really like to know the behind the scenes. Was this more from Feige? Was this more from Chapek? Was it a combination of things? Let's just get product out. Let's get it product so we can put stuff on Disney Plus, so we have content for Disney Plus because of COVID, because of the streaming boom, everything like that. And I think that's where they suffered a little bit. And I think that that some of these projects were probably a little underdeveloped. But I also give Marvel credit for trying to take risks in Phase Four. I think it's they're making the wise decision to kind of slow it down a little bit. If we if we get these three films this year, I, th- I think four films at most is the tops of any of these franchises should have in a year. But th- I, I'm liking three films. I'm liking right now. We're for sure looking at Loki season two, and we're looking at Secret Invasion coming out this year. And what if? Well, what if's a little different? I, I kind of, I mean. But for us, though, that's still yeah, a lot, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think I still think we might see Echo by the end of this year. I think there's still a possibility of that. But I think they've kind of reevaluated the plans. They're slowing down. I know they've been doing a lot of reworking on Thunderbolts. I think they're reworking several other things. I think what you're going to see going forward with Marvel, and I think it's going to be the same thing with Star Wars, too, and other Disney projects. You're going to see these boards come out which listing the projects they're working on, but you're not going to see any more release dates. You're just going to see this is what we're working on, Maybe we did like the first three things on the list have release dates. The everything else is going to be floating out there. Kevin, you had one thing you wanted to add? Yeah, I, I I was looking up at Wikipedia and some other stuff, and I was trying to put together uh, a list of what's upcoming. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of to be determined and and uh, and TBDs out there. And for the films for this year, of course, we got Guardians, we've got Marvel through 2023 and then 2024 uh, we got Captain America, New World Order, Thunderbolts and Blade. And this is kind of in the order of when they'll be released. Uh, Captain America is looking around May of 2024, Thunderbolts, uh, July, Blade, uh, September uh, 6 is what they're saying now. Television series this year, we got Secret, Secret Invasion, but it's early 2023. What If TBD, Ironheart TBD and Echo TBD. Also, Possibly Agatha Coven of Chaos, TBA, late 2023 or early 2024, Daredevil Born Again, 2024. Yeah, and of course, and you forgot to mention Loki Season 2 as well. Yeah, sorry, that was there, yes. Yeah, Yeah, so 
it's going to be interesting. I, I think I think they're doing the right thing by kind of adjusting here, and I think it I think it is a partly because Iger is back and he's seeing some. Iger is very good about sometimes seeing the writing on the wall. So I'm I'm interested to see how this plays out. But that kind of leads us into what we're going to talk about here in our main topic. So let's move on to our first phase and discuss a little Ant Man. <laughs> So, yeah, we are here to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium. And actually, in an important film when you look at it, because it is the start of Phase 5. It wasn't supposed to be, but a lot of shifting happened. As we know, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever became the end of Phase 4 with the Guardians Christmas special kind of being the epilogue. So now here we are kicking off Phase 5 with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. A very interesting film, and we're going to discuss a lot of that here. But before we do anything, Kevin, would you care to drop us into phase one and this plot description of this film? Of course. Looking forward to this here. Yeah. All right. Okay. During her days of entrapment in the quantum realm, Janet Van Dyne encounters Kang, an exiled traveler who claims that they can both escape the quantum realm if she can help him rebuild his multiverse power core. After they manage to repair it, Janet sees a vision of Kang conquering and destroying entire timelines. Kang reveals he was exiled by his own variants out of fear, which drives Janet to turn on him. Outmatched, Janet uses her pin particles to enlarge the power core and render it unusable. In present day, after the Battle of Earth, Scott Lang has become a successful uh, author and has been living happily with his girlfriend, Hope Van Dyne. Scott's now teenage daughter Cassie has become a political activist, resulting in her spending some time in jail before being bailed out by her father, whom she has become strange from since he started focusing more on his celebrity than his duties as Ant-Man. While visiting Hope's parents, Hank, Pym, and Janet, Cassie revealed that she's been working on a device that can make contact with the quantum realm. On learning of this, Janet panics and forcefully shuts off the device with the de- Message is received, resulting in a portal that opens up and pulls the five of them into the quantum realm. Scott and Cassie are found by natives who are rebelling against their ruler, while Hope, Janet, and Hank explore a sprawling city to get answers. Hope, Janet, and Hank meet with Lord Krylar, a former ally of Janet who reveals that things have changed since she left, and now he and, and that now he is working who is now the Quantum Realm's ruler. The three are forced to flee and steal Krylar's ship. The Langs, meanwhile, are told by a rebel leader, Gentora, that Janet's involvement with Kang is indirectly responsible for his rise to power. The rebels soon become under attack by Kang forces led by Modok, who is revealed to be Darren Cross, having survived his apparent death at Scott's hands. The Langs are taken to Kang, who demands that Scott help get his power core back or else he will kill Cassie. Scott is taken to the core's location and shrinks down. He is nearly drowned in a sea of variants of himself, but Hope arrives and helps him acquire the power core. However, Kang reneges on the deal, capturing Janet and destroying her ship with Hank on it. After being rescued by his aunts, who are also pulled into the quantum realm, rapidly evolved and become hyper-intelligent, Hank helps Scott and Hope as they make their way to Kang. Cassie rescues Jintora, and they commence on an uprising against Kang and his army. During the fight, Cassie convinces Cross to not be an asshole, turn sides and fight Kang, though he sacrifices his life in the process. 
Janet fixes the power core as she, Hank, Hope, and Cassie jump through the portal home, but Kang attacks Scott, nearly beating him to submission. Hope returns and together with Scott, destroy the power core and knock Kang into it, causing him to be pulled into oblivion. Cassie reopens a portal for her and for on her end for Scott and Hope to return home. As Scott happily resumes his life, he begins to rethink if he was told about Kang's death being part of something terrible happening. Brushes it off. The end. Oh, and we got a couple of uh, post-credit scenes here. Uh, in the mid-credit scene, numerous variants of Kang are concerned by Earth's 616's increasing interest in the multiverse and plan their uprising. In a post-credit scene, Loki and Mobius and Mobius locate another Kang variant named Victor Timely on Earth in the 1920s. So we have now officially kicked off Phase 5. We have established Kang is going to be a major part of a major villain. Obviously, we know Avengers Kang Dynasty is coming. I got to ask you guys, what were your first thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumadia? Derek, I'm going to let you kick this off. So um, I thought it was a really good movie. I enjoyed. um, I felt it was sticking to Ant-Man and and the universe that he has within the whole MCU, right? So you got all the players with Hope and and, um, Hank and uh, all of them. And then obviously you're getting the introduction of Cassie Lang, which is, um, you know, eventually they'll they'll call her stature and and she'll move forward. But this is kind of her um, first real taste of, of being part of the um, MCU since all we really got uh, at end game, right. was just obviously portrayed by a different actress. Uh, But uh, overall to be this, this really wasn't an Ant-Man movie. It was the Kang origin story. um, And that's what I really liked about this movie. Um, But I also felt that it did a really good job with, um, giving everyone a little bit of their own screen time. Uh, I felt it, it did a pretty good job balancing. Uh, didn't feel like anyone, you know, was there and, and, and underused or too much of anything. Um, it's like, you know, I was related back to the Spider-Man three syndrome of movies when they just feel like they just have too much. I felt it was just at the right amount, not to say that, you know, uh, with all the other sidebar characters they introduced and all that can get crazy sometimes. But, uh, overall I, I really liked the movie. Um, and like, I said I, I'm. I thought it was a great way of kicking off kicking off Phase Five, but like I said, it, it really isn't Ant Man Quantumania. It is Kang the origin story. David, what about you? What were your first thoughts coming out of Ant Man? Uh, well, before I think uh, going to watch it, I think in 2019 we got the title reveal of Quantumania. When I heard that title, I was like, "That's a really cool title," and it felt like we were going to get a grand Ant Man film and something. I think really, really substantial and larger than just a traditional Ant-Man film or Ant-Man and the Wasp film. Um, I, I really did like the first two Ant-Man films. I, I love the vibe. I love the characters, the casting, um, just, just the character of Ant-Man. It, it's one of my favorites. But coming out of the film, um, I had watched all the kind of red carpet screening reactions on on social media and a lot of them were mixed so i got kind of worried about it um so my expectations weren't like super through the roof like they were before i lowered them quite a bit and i had fun um but like what derek said it it, i was expecting to 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 get a kang origin story and that's pretty much what we got and that's what i was looking for and i heard all the reviews of 
Jonathan Majors acting and portrayal of Kang and to be the next big, bad, big Thanos level type um, villain was um, substantiated. Uh, he, he did a terrific job. Paul Rudd did his thing. Um, the ensemble worked. Um, the new Cassie Lang actress, I think she worked. Um, the story, it, it, was, it was a fun movie. It, it, it wasn't anything more or less than, I, I think, kind of just uh, another non-Avengers level film. Um, I know the cast is pretty huge. I mean, you got Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer in there uh, a lot. And I think Michelle Pfeiffer was in there a lot more than uh, Evangeline Lilly. So mm-hmm. technically, she might be the title character uh, as opposed to uh, Evangeline Lilly's Wasp. But uh, um, And I know they used the volume, uh, which Star Wars kind of ushered in. And uh, a lot of people, I think talked about the fact that you could tell that I, I, I really didn't pay attention. So it kind of just blended in for me. Um, but overall I liked it. I thought about watching it again. I just didn't have the time to go back and, and do a second viewing and uh, the end credit scenes. I, I really love the mid credit with the, uh, the three powerful Kang variants at the end. Um, so yeah, overall I thought it was good. Um, I think it's getting a lot more hate than it should, but uh I think uh, that's kind of the reality we live in now with social media and and the MCU giving us such memorable classics as Infinity War and Endgame and Civil War. I think people are kind of expecting to get the next big thing. And when they don't get something on that level, like you described earlier, Kyle, it's, it's kind of a disappointment. So, yeah. Kevin, I, want, I saved you for the, for the last year because me and you have had some interesting conversations about it, man going back to even when the first trailer came out, because what were your words when the first trailer of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania hit? Where was the fun? Ant-Man well, it wasn't even that. Fun. You just said it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> words you told, that was what you texted me. <laughs> You're right. I it sucked. It did. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, uh, I, I, I can't, when it comes to Ant-Man, you can get away with certain things. You can get away with a certain amount of humor, get away with a certain amount of fun that you might not get out of like maybe a Captain America movie or something like that. And that's what made Ant-Man the first film. And even the second one have its own little corner of the MCU that you would come to expect, you know, certain little fun things that you got from guardians of the galaxy when that first came out, you know, because it, it, it was allowed to be weird and quirky and, and have a certain type of humor. And Ant-Man had its own little niche like that too. And the, the trailer first came out for it. I, yeah, you're right. I said, it sucked. I was disappointed with it. I, where was the fun in that first trailer? There was no fun. Everything was like Scott looking like this, and like that. And so serious, you know, and, and, you know, when I saw the new trailer for it, too, I, I didn't get the fun I really wanted out of it, you know. And, and I understand they're trying to, you know, do this Kang origin story, as like our guest said here. So, like David said, I, um, I went in with really low expectations. And uh, um, I'll, my first reaction was, and, and I ended up seeing it again just, just the other day did a double feature with that and cocaine bear, which was great. Uh, but uh, I, the, my first time seeing it, I had a lot of questions. It was fun. Uh, but it, it, because I had low expectations, I think I was able to enjoy it more than where I think it, during phase one, two and three, we were really spoiled with a, a lot of, you know, really good 
you know, oh, wow moments. And, you know, I, I made sure I saw it opening weekend, uh, you know, to keep my streak going. Uh, but I had issues, a few issues with it. And, uh, but enough to where I had a lot of questions first and not being the comic guy, I wanted to go back and see it and see if I can appreciate it a little bit more or maybe fit, look at some things that I might have missed and stuff like that. And I did appreciate it a little bit more after my second uh, um, visit with it, but it, it's got a couple, it's got a couple of glaring things that I, I have issues with and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but uh, it, 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 you know, some people that should have had more screen time or some more or some more moments and stuff. It, it didn't happen for me. So anyway, when I saw this film, I was going in with a little bit of an understanding. This was going to be different than the first two Ant-Man movies. They were going for more of a science fiction story here. And I really think they nailed that part. I came out of this film feeling like it was like an old flash Gordon episode or, or something like that. It kind of had that campy sixties science fiction kind of feel to it. Something you would have read in, in those some of those old Stanley Jack Kirby comics, something a lot that is the strangeness of the world of the quantum realm, playing up on more of the science fiction angles. And obviously, we knew Kang was going to be a big part of this film and establishing things with Kang. I think, I think the cast was great across the board. Paul Rudd has got the Ant Man character down. I think that the effects were beautifully well done. I really couldn't notice when they were in the volume and where they weren't weren't in the volume per se. They never. Sometimes I know some people have complaints like, oh, it's really noticeable at times. And I never really felt that with this film. And then maybe it's just as the volume technology continues to improve, they're getting away from, from that. Um, Jonathan Majors was a tour de force in this film. We'll talk about, I'm going to talk about him more a little bit when we talk about the cast, but I thought he was phenomenal as Kang. He played Kang cool and ruthless and not like this over maniacal type of villain. And I think he really hit it perfectly for this version of Kang that we saw. I also think, too, that for kicking off Phase 5, I came out of this film going, you know what? This is going to be one of those Marvel movies that when we go back after several more movies have come out and look at the entire story and the connective tissue, a lot of people, this movie is going to get raised up on the important scale. And Marvel's very good about doing this, about making movies that people might be like, I'm not so sure about. And all of a sudden, they find a way to make it even more important. I think this film is going to do that. I had fun. I enjoyed myself. I don't know if I call it the best of the Ant-Man films, but I think for what it was and what I knew coming into it, it, it met my expectations and I had a good time. And that's, that's what, what all I ask of any film. If I can come out saying I had a good time and I enjoyed it, it's great. Is it a top addition to the MCU? No, but it is a fun addition to the MCU. And I think a major building block piece for what's coming forward in the MCU. So with that, that's kind of where I fall on that. Um, However, we do have some uh, critical responses and reviews for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Media. Uh, um, Rotten Tomatoes reported an approval rating of 48% with an average rating of 5.6 out of 10 based on 319 reviews. The site's critics' consensus reads, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania mostly lacks the spark of fun that elevated earlier adventures, but Jonathan Majors Kang is a thrilling villain poised to alter the course of the MCU. On Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 48 out of 100 based on 61 critics, indicating mixed or average reviews. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of B on an A plus to F scale, and those polled by PostTrack reported 75% of the audience members gave the film a positive score, with 60% saying they would definitely recommend it. Or 
Owen Gilberman from Variety was critical of the film, calling it at once fun and numbing and stating, if this is what Phase 5 looks like, God save us from Phases 6, 7, and 8. Karen James from the BBC states that the movie has Marvel's next big villain, but other than that, has nothing to offer beyond drab-looking action. Wendy Mm -hmm. Ide from The Guardian called Major's performance the film's magnetic core, but said that the overall film was baffling and illogical. James Berendelli found the film the most ambitious of the Ant-Man series, but criticized its screenplay and felt that the ending was confusing. I want to add this one in. Liam Goggin from Collider praised Michelle Pfeiffer's performance, liking her character and on-screen presence to her portrayal of Catwoman in Batman Returns, while um, Manola uh, Dargis from the New York Times referred to her as one of the truer stars of the show. Um, Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times rated the film three out of four stars. He called it a mid-tier MCU film with decent enough battle sequences and some nifty visual. Kevin, I know you like reading some of these critical responses and these things. Anything out there stand out to you in any of their thoughts? Uh, I agree with a lot of the stuff that the uh, uh, critics have said regarding some of the more like the drab looking action to certain parts. I, I saw that. And, but I did like Michelle Pfeiffer's, uh, I mean, this should have called Ant-Man and Janet Van Dyne instead, you know, uh, but she was great in this. And that was one of the things I think that uh, you said, Derek, was that uh, a lot of people had moments in this and a lot of people got, ex- except really for um, the wasp, I guess, you know, hope. Yeah, yeah. Hope really didn't shine as much as some other people, even some of the secondary characters, but that was actually one of the cool things about this film was the other characters that were introduced. Some of the fun looking aliens and they all kind of had moments and stuff. He looks like broccoli. <laughs> I want Eric, what about you? Yeah, what, what about you? Do you agree with what the critics are saying here? Uh, no, because you can, I mean, if you look at most of the MC and what critics are um, rating and then what the audience scores it, it's usually a 10% variant, right? Which is pretty understandable. But this is complete opposite. You're talking almost double the score from the audience to the critics. So I'm going to call the critics, critics have lost their mind when it comes to this right now. I don't know if they're, you know, Marvel burnout or if the last couple of Marvel movies um, have left a bad taste in their mouth. If you think about that, um, you know, there was a lot of Between Eternals, Doctor Strange 2, um, you know, <laughs> even Love and Thunder from Thor 4 is just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that even though I appreciate and again, because to me it was something different. It didn't follow the MCU formula. This one actually, out of all the movies outside of you know the phenomenal Spider-Man three that we got, No Way Home, this was actually the most to me formulaic Marvel movie since anything from Phase three on, in my opinion. Um, so again, I, I don't understand what the critics are going for here. I mean, anyone. And again, I understand, you know, I come from a different background because I'm a comic book fan. I've, I've read a lot of this stuff. I understand what, you know, what I, my vision of how things should be in a, in a comic book world universe, I should say, not just, a, you know, movie, but a universe. I like it. Right. And I thought, again, this was a, not about Ant-Man. It's about Kang. Um, and again, you know, could they have just done the Jonathan Majors? Yeah, I mean, they really could have, and it probably would have, you know, maybe met what they want. But I, I don't think, again, that would have been the way you do it because, you know, then they would have expected, you know, well, 
well, the bad guy won, right? Like, okay, great. You know, but, uh, you know, like I said, it was just the way I, I, I enjoyed it. So I think they got it wrong. What about you, David? Are you agreeing with, the, are you finding yourself falling in line with the critics or do you, you feel a little differently than what they do? Um, like I said, I liked it. Uh, it, it, it wasn't the greatest MCU edition, but I think it's kind of maybe in the middle of the pack or maybe a little below the middle. But, uh, as far as uh, what the critics' response was, I think it was kind of expected in a way for a film like this. Um, I had a lot of fun. I, I like the MCU. I like comic book movies, so I thought I was going to like it no matter what. Um, but um, when people go in expecting something so, so high-end every single time as far as like story and, and just uh, it, it's, it's incredibly hard to make a movie. And then it's almost impossible to make a great movie, you know? I mean, I kind of go in there with that understanding every single time I go in there. And to have this many MCU films, this was the 31st, I think, MCU film, and uh, which ties into uh, Baskin-Robbins with 31 flavors. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's expected to what the critics kind of responded to it. And it didn't really make me change my mind to go see the film. But... Uh, yeah, it's it, it did. Like I said, it did lower my expectations, but I still enjoyed it. I, I I see these MCU films as serials, as continuations of a of the bigger story. So it's like I watch these more like I watch a TV episode of a big series or show. So. Well, I want to talk about the box office real quick because there's something going very interesting going on with the box office for Ant Man and the Lost Quantum Media. It had a very solid opening weekend. Um, it grossed 120.4 million in the United States and Canada, and 156.3 million in other territories for a worldwide total of 276.7 million dollars. That's a very good opening weekend. Um, it was actually projected projected over the President's Day weekend to make about 120 million, so it hit the number right there. Um, what's interesting though is that it's had one of the biggest drops of a superhero film in its second week at 70 percent in comparison. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp fell 62%, while the original Ant-Man only declined 56%. Um, it is actually the biggest, of, as far as Marvel movies, the biggest drop in the second week. Thor Love and Thunder dropped by 68%. Uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness dropped by 67%. And Wakanda Forever dropped by 63%. Um, it even had a bigger drop than um, Batman versus Superman Donna Justice, which actually dropped 69% in its second week. I don't... This drop, I think, is also a very much reflected, especially with Disney properties, where I think you have the diehards who are going to see it opening weekend, but you have a lot of people now because stuff comes to Disney Plus fairly quickly, unless it's named Avatar. <laughs> but um, I think oh, there's a lot of people who you're going to have your diehards go see it opening weekend. You're going to have big box office numbers there. But I think unless it's something very special, it's not you, we need to get started used to these bigger drops in a second week because a lot of people are going to, if they don't see it opening weekend, they're probably going to say, I'm just going to wait till it's Disney plus or streaming. It's not going to be that long. So what do you think, Kevin? I, I, we're in a, such a weird time right now when it comes to the movie theaters. Uh, word of mouth too. I had a couple people at work waiting on me to uh, tell them what to think and whether or not they would go see it in the theater or not. Seriously. Yeah. And I said it was fun, but I went in with low expectations and, uh, and I know the type of people they are. And I, I said, you know, um, 
mean, I'll get into a little bit later, but as, as fun as it is, if you want to just go in for a good popcorn movie, you'll enjoy it. But to me, it's not destination. Some of these movies aren't destination theater anymore. You know, and I said, wait for Disney Plus for two months. That's exactly what well, I said, you know. <laughs> well, well and, and just for Kevin, too, Universal's Cocaine Bear did finish in second place with 23 million. It, it, yeah, and totally blame the bear. I, I highly recommend Cocaine Bear. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, what do you what do you think, Derek? Is 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 was is this drop an indication of streaming? Is it an indication of just how we absorb our our entertainment these days? Or is there is there something to this where the this movie just didn't hit as home for as many people as we thought it? Um, I think. First off, it was going back to our original opening statement with the news of, I think there's a bit of Marvel burnout. Um, But I think this is where you see that the vast majority of, to your point, the the non-hardcore fans, right? We're all going to be the ones that go see it um, opening weekend, regardless. um, the, The general audience took the critics review and that's why they didn't go do it because this Honestly, you know, it, it, you look at, it got 48% first thing Friday morning, um, afternoon when I, when I, or Thursday, I'm sorry, before, um, I look it in. So I looked at it. I was like, Oh, interesting. So that's I was curious to see, you know, before the movie started at six o'clock on Thursday, what, what the critics consensus was, that was it. And like I said, I, I think they got it completely wrong and that's okay. Again, it's, you know, my opinion versus theirs and that's fine. But again, I think that's what hurt, hurt they're, they're, you know, people coming in afterwards. And it's a Kevin's point, like, Hey, if you want to go, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. I mean, I was telling everybody and, and you could really see like all the comments and on, you know, rotten tomatoes, all the Facebook comments, the general consensus from fans was, yeah, it's a good movie, you know, but to then your point afterwards, it's like, well, am I going to go drop 15, 20 bucks for a ticket? And, you know, because they keep raising prices. I mean, it's interesting, you know, Kevin had posted about like what AMC is going to do with premier seating, you know, I mean, whatever they're going to do to continue to hurt themselves. Um, And then, you know, again, I go have, you know, my wife and I go with a couple of our friends that pretty much go see every time we go and have dinner. You can have drinks if you wanted to, but I mean, you could spend easily 60, 70, hundred bucks, and, you know, I, I do that because I'm financially able to, but there's a lot of people who can't do that, right? So they have to pick and choose. Um, so, you know, I think that's really what hurts it is that if it would have been 84% from critics, I think it would have done a lot better because then people are like, oh, okay, we're kind of back to the Marvel thing, right? But if you think about it, I mean, it scored the same as Eternals, but it, it did 100 plus more at this point, you know, and it's only in its second week than it did. Versus what Eternals did, uh, you know, it's a whole two month run, two month run. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting thing, David. What about you? Is, is this a changing in viewing habits? Is this some MCU or not? Or is it a combination of things, or is it just that maybe Ant Man isn't appealing to everybody like other Marvel films have? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, traditionally January and February are like the toilet bowl months of the year for for film. Um, but I mean, Ant-Man also is not like the big franchise within the MCU for me. It is cause I love Ant-Man, but you hear people talk about even, even in the, the MCU films and in infinity war, they kind of degraded Ant-Man in a way that scene where they're at uh, with smart Hulk and, and black widow and captain America. He's like, Hey, I'm Ant-Man. And like the kids didn't know him, and it's like, oh, that was kind of a slight toward Ant Man. I didn't like that. Well, they do in the movie too. Thank you, yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. <laughs> so I'm doing it right now, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, combination of factors. I mean, I like that Derek touched up, uh, upon the the part with with the financial aspect. I mean, it costs so much money to go to the movies. Uh, luckily, I'm also in a position where I don't really even think about it. But when I see the receipts for like the tickets and the, and the food and like, oh my gosh, it's 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 a lot of money. Um, so yeah, there's that as well. And then what Kevin alluded to with the the release on home video on streaming on Disney Plus. I mean, it's gonna be there like in two months. So that's that's like no time to wait at all. I remember growing up in the '90s, it was like you would hear people say, oh, "I'm gonna wait till it hits video." It's like you're gonna wait a year or two. It's like wow, that's that's a long time. But now it's like two months. <laughs> it's it's gonna be there. Like you're gonna blink and it's yeah. gonna be there. So. Uh, Spending all that money or just waiting for the film to, to drop on your subscription to Disney Plus that you pay $10 a month for. I mean, it's it's kind of a no-brainer along with the critics' scores. And it's Ant-Man, you know? It, it's it's not Spider-Man. It's not Captain America. It's not Iron Man. You know, it's, it's not one of the top tier. It's not the new X-Men that I think we're all, like, waiting for, fantastic for. It's, it's none of that. It's It's none of the new stuff that we're all kind of is hoping to get sooner than later. So, yeah. You know, Kyle, I just wanted to jump in here because uh, I, I think that um, one of the things too is that I represent a a portion of the fan base that they're catering to um, that hasn't read the comics. And I think that this phase four has been part of the reason that the the casual the people that are invested in the MCU but just go to see the movies and then there's the other ones that go see the movies and watch the Disney Plus series and then there, of course there's the one where you guys know the comics Disney Plus and then the movies and I think that that's starting to kind of these fans are kind of starting to fracture their attention a little bit that aren't into the comics thus in more of investment for them to go see the movies because they want to see what they're bringing from the comics and how are things are going to be different. And uh, it's funny too, when I used to write movies, when I was like in the nineties, you know, I, you know, when home video was the thing, you know, I would say, you know, go buy it or wait to rent it or wait till it comes out on a pay channel. Or if it's really bad, wait for the late night television, you know, something like that. And I've always kind of changed the way I rate stuff, you know, and as you know, Kyle on the fandom podcast network and with my physical media, I love physical media and I will, you know, judge stuff on rewatchability. And I remember when, you know, I'm, I'm a completist when it comes to certain things and it comes to star Wars movies and stuff. And when it comes to Marvel movies, the MCU and the Eternals was the first movie that I didn't buy when it first came out on, on, on Blu-ray. I waited till it was the 4k was on sale for nine 99 at target. And I picked it up and then same thing for Dr. Strange and the multiverse, not a fan of that film. Uh, certain moments I like about it, when that came out, I waited till it got cheap and got it for 4K for $9.99. Ant-Man it comes out. Obviously, I'll probably watch it maybe when it hits Disney Plus, but I'm gonna wait. Probably till it gets a little cheaper, not when it first releases. And you and I had a discussion about um uh Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, when it hit Disney Plus. I don't know if it was recency biased, but I didn't watch it. I still haven't watched it all the way through yet. It's out on video right now. I haven't bought it. And this is a guy who collects 
all of them. That's how I'm judging stuff now. Anyway, yeah. back to you. I, I think I think it's interesting to see, and it's going to be continuing just to see how we consume our media and, and how we feel about that. But I want to get into the cast, guys, because obviously we have the returning Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer. Of course, Jonathan Majors is Kang. Catherine Newton taking over the role of Cassie Lang. We've also got um, Bill Murray making a cameo. There's a couple, there's a very glaring omission to this cast. And Kevin, bear with me. We will get, I'm going to get to you and let you have the floor. But I do want to talk about the cast that we know was in the, in this film. Film. Um, Kevin, I'm going to come right. Actually, no, I'm going to say, Dave, I'm going to come to you. How did you like the cast? And we, we've talked a little bit about Michelle Pfeiffer getting a lot more play in this film than she did in Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, Paul Rudd's always always solid. What were your feelings on the cast in this film? But the cast was good. Uh, the casting of Jonathan Majors was excellent. I think the MCU really set themselves up for uh, the next big bad in in Kang, and hopefully we see him again more and more. Um, but yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer was great. Paul Rudd did his thing. I think the cast was solid. Um, Catherine Newton did surprise me. She was a little bit better than I was kind of expecting. Um, there's there's that story out there. I don't know if you guys have heard that uh, the previous actress that played Cassie Lang found out that she was recast via, I think, like a social media post or something that Catherine Newton got the job. They didn't even tell her that she wasn't returning as as Cassie Lang. So that seemed kind of messed up. But um, overall, I mean, I, I thought the cast was, was pretty good. It, it was interesting to see that uh, Katie O'Brien was cast in there. I had no idea. She's, uh, she plays uh, an officer in, uh, in The Mandalorian. And uh, Bill Murray's cameo was not that great. It was maybe one of the worst. <laughs> that yeah. uh, It's like, why bring in Bill Murray for that? You could have brought in Bill Murray for something a whole lot more substantial. But yeah, that was, that was a little weird. But uh, overall, it, it was good. It, I, I think the casting was, was done pretty much to... What, what was that character's name? Uh, the guy on the right. He did a pretty good Quaz. job. William Jackson Harper was the actor. Yeah, I I think he was he was in something else that I think that fans are commenting on that he was kind of um, underutilized because his his acting is his, his talents are pretty good. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to show up again. But I thought he was pretty good. Uh, what about you, Derek? What did you think of the cast? Um, obviously, I mean you have a phenomenal cast. Um, I think if you look at what um, we have in regards to it being Ant Man three. Um, you know, you, you had an established character base, you know, besides, you know, Paul Rudd as Ant-Man getting a little bit of time to shine in Endgame, um, you know, but outside of that, um, it's all been pretty much contained to the, the th- now three movies. And I think that's great, right? You're, you're, again, it's, it's its own little universe within this larger universe and, and that's okay, right? There doesn't have to be every character um that shows up in every mc movie you know has to make a final appearance at the end um even though we got a little bit of that within um end game uh at the end but again it was just all within the fight scene right so that was that was a great way of incorporating it and obviously you know we'll have that eventually when we have another huge you know glorious universe fight at phase six or seven right to come bring everything together. So, um, but the cast is obviously phenomenal. Again, my earlier comments where I felt like everybody got a, a good piece of the pie. Um, I know what upsets Kevin and, and, and that's his point, right? There's some good characters that they left out, but I'm okay with that because again, I think 
it was just at the right amount. I mean, it was just over two hour movie length. Um, I think if you would have had to add in the other ones, it would have made it a little bit longer. It could have diluted the story more. Um, obviously, I think the the flip was you don't get them in order to get more the Cassie Lane character. Um, I'm not saying they couldn't have fit into this story, right? But when you're talking about what they were doing here within the quantum realm, it would have been really hard for me to justify why they were legitimately there. Um, and again, I'm not saying they couldn't have wrote something to incorporate them, whether it was at the beginning or the end. Um, I think, you know, putting them right at the end after they're back would have been, you know, a quick, quick nod. Um, but overall, like I said, I, I thought, you know, the cast was great. The only thing that I could said that was a little awkward was, was when they brought back Darian. and you get the picture up there right now. Um, Kevin, you know, I, that's the only thing I think that had the biggest gripe was just the, the visualization of it. I, I get that they were trying to be meta or they were trying to play on the fact that, you know, we're never going to get the, the look of MODOK correct. So we're just going to make it look as cheesy and bad as possible. But, you know, because when they had the mask down, you know, with the, the thing, he looked really menacing and really, you know, the traditional MODOK. So I don't know. Right. Um, but that would be the only thing that I would say that every time I, I popped it, you'd get a chuckle. But that took me out of the element. But that would be the only gripe that I really had with the movie. But yeah, the cast wise, but him as as MODOK made sense. I thought it was great the way they flipped it in. Uh, the cast is always solid when you have those four premier actors like that. You're They're always solid. I agree with what David said about um, Catherine Newton. I think she was a lot better in this film than I anticipated. The Bill Murray cameo was a thing. I think he kind of did it too because he, him and Paul Rudd hit it off real well when they were doing Ghostbusters Afterlife. And so I think that was kind of where that goes. But as Kevin knows, from if you listen to Culture Clash, I have been preaching 2023 as the year of Jonathan Majors. Because not only is he Kang, he has got Creed 3 coming out. He just had, um, right at the end of the year, a great um, uh, Korean War film come out. He's got a few other projects. I loved him in Lovecraft Country. He's going to be in a a lot more Marvel stuff going forward. Obviously, we know he's going to be a part of Loki Season 2. I think he's an absolutely phenomenal up-and-coming actor. And how he portrayed Kang, as I said earlier... He didn't play him as this maniacal over-the-top villain, which you could easily play the Conqueror version of Kang as. No, he played him as cool and ruthless. And, I mean, he he definitely, in my opinion, steals this movie, and he was absolutely phenomenal in this. Um, I I think that there's uh, some characters who we talked about who were left out. There would have been a way to incorporate them, even if it was just their voices, like they kind of did with David Dasmalchen in this film. And I think they, that was a way they could have incorporated some of these other characters. But since we are talking about those other characters, I am going to give the floor to Kevin Reitzel because he had probably his biggest heartbreak in the MCU with this. <laughs> uh, before I get to that, I want to talk about uh, Jonathan Majors. I'm a fan of Jonathan Majors. I think he's a great actor. I, I like that he's getting more prominent roles as well. Um, for those of you that have, Listen to me on the Phantom Podcast Network. I was not um, impressed or happy with the way uh, Kang was first introduced at season end of uh, Loki season one. Um, and keep in mind, I don't know the comics, but I shouldn't have to know the comics. And I think that um, uh, when 
I was going into this film, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm excited to see how we're going to see this, this version of Kang, which is like either the ultimate one or the one that is going to be sold to us. And Jonathan Majors is really going to get into it. But when I go to the theater, I see this fantastic trailer for Creed three. And he's, he's the old friend of Creed and, you know, he's uh, he's been in prison and obviously you can tell that he went to prison for, uh, you know, probably to save Creed uh, from going to prison. He probably took a rap or something like that, you know, and so he wants to come back and he wants to get his is he wants to get his moment. And I just got I bought into that. I'm like, I can't wait to see Creed three. And then when I see him finally come to be the Kang that we are supposed to know and fear in this. And for some reasons that I'll get into a bit later, I'm little underwhelmed by his performance and kyle you said that he stole this he was kind of what i was expected from a standard i'm the villain type of performance uh to me the standout to me was michelle pfeiffer i think she stole this film in my opinion um and uh i, I agree with um bill murray's character i'm like that was kind of like a useless cameo but i see why it was done you know i would like to have seen a little bit more maybe a background maybe a, a flashback or something like that to kind of you know, set that story up a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, Kyle, uh, <laughs> uh, we are missing some important people here. And, but more importantly, who we are missing here is we're missing Luis. And, um, when I look back at the story and I've seen it twice now, the movie here, um, I think there really could have been a moment for him because, you know, we're trying to set Scott up, you know, as kind of a little bit of celebrities written his book you know, maybe he's put fathering aside a little bit among other things. And he's really kind of enjoying his life. But I want, I, I miss the characters that grounded him. And that was Luis, even his ex-wife. Uh, and I think that, you know, shoot, we even got like Mr. Baskin Robbins guy more than once in this movie. Seriously, you couldn't have just thrown Luis in there a little bit. We even got Jimmy Woo a little bit, but in like an, uns you didn't get to hear him speak because it was in a montage of Scott doing his like, you know, normal Scott stuff, right. You know, doing a little magic with, with Wu. And, and I, I think that missing Luis was a big deal here because, you know, whether it's contract or whatever, I don't know, but this is the type of things that we like about Scott. You know, these are, these are the things that we, we, we know that he's kind of like the everyday superhero, you know, he's the little man, you know, literally. And, you know, when he's reading that scene in, in the, the, the bookstore, in front of everyone, it, it would have been nice if maybe Luis could have said something like, nah, that's not what really happened. You should have known like how I know him, you know? And uh, it's these little things that I'm hearing from uh, other articles of things that we missed about it, things that we wanted to see, you know? So uh, I think this was a, 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 a big omission to this movie and I was hoping to see him and whether it was just a little bit, I would have been fine. We did not need to see Baskin Robbins guy as much as we did. We needed to see Louise. So as far as Judy Greer goes, Kevin, I just want to throw this out real quick. I think her character really probably wouldn't have fit in this film because the story was about the time they were focusing on the time Scott missed with Cassie. And I you don't have to sell me of Judy Greer. I know why she wasn't there. Yeah. You know, as far as Louise goes, I get, I get why you, it's hard to include the character because of the nature of what this film is. However, what I would have liked to have seen Kind of what you were talking about, Kevin, is I would have loved to have seen like a instead of maybe getting that obvious clip from Loki season two, because that's what that was from. Um, I would have loved to have seen them go back to that bookstore and you see Louise holding Scott's book and says, 
throws it over his head, pulls up a book with his face on the cover and says, now I'm going to tell you the real story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think even just having a little moment like that would have been great to have Luis appear in, in the film. There was a way to do it. I also think they could have used Luis and had him voice a character in the, had Michael Pena voice a character in the quantum realm that maybe even acted a little bit like Louise and had a little fun with that. But I, Louis, I think there were ways Louis, around it. Luis is um, Iron Man's happy. If you think about it, yeah. you know, yeah, no, um, I, 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 I just, you know, yeah, I would definitely though. say that, but yeah. we are going to, we, we are going to take a quick break and uh, recharge our pin particles here. And when we come back, we're going to get into a little trivia, a little bit of MCU ties and give our final thoughts on Ant-Man and the Boss Quantumania. But first, here's what's happening on the Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show. Our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Okay, welcome back to True Believers. Hopefully you're enjoying the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network as we strive to make podcasts to feed your ears. Now, Mr. Reitzel, it is time to dive into Phase 2, which is some trivia. And I got to say, my friend, you dove through the quantum realm, through a few other realms in that possibly, possibly digging up some trivia facts about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So can, you want to throw a little trivia at us? Sure, sure. We've actually touched on a little bit of them already, but uh, yeah, this is the first Ant-Man movie not co-written by Paul Rudd. Uh, and of course, as we mentioned, uh, does not include Judy Greer, Sam Bussett, Paxton, T.I., uh, Dave, Michael Pena, Luis, and David uh, Damalchelen, who plays Kurt. Um, and uh, But we do get uh, Rand Randall Park as Jimmy Woo in a, a brief little cameo there. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, was it uh, was it you, Derek, about uh, Catherine Newton, um, Emma Furman not being played uh, Cassie? She claimed on Twitter that she learned about being replaced when Disney released details of the film at their investor day in December 2020. Mm -hmm. Ouch. <laughs> uh, 
but she was still grateful to have been part of the MCU. Uh, Bill Murray was interested in joining Marvel for a while and even phoned Catherine Newton to ask if she, if, if she was okay with him joining the cast of the film. And according to new to screenwriter Jeff Loveness, the MCU incarnation of MODOK was influenced by Kevin Klein's portrayal of Otto from A Fish Called Wanda in 1988 and Frank Grimes from the classic The Simpsons episode Homer's Enemy. Uh, at the beginning of his career, director Peyton Reed directed behind-the-scenes material for the Back to the Future franchise, and those efforts included Back to the Future 2, 89. Early on in Quantumania, there's an, a moment involving a pizza scene that pays tribute to that sequel. Quote, I did the making of the documentaries for the Back to the Future Part 2 and 3, so I was on the set when they did Part 2's pizza scene. And yes, Quantumania's pizza scene is a little tip of the hat to that Reed revealed. Remember, he saved eight bucks. <laughs> Scott's Ant-Man suit has been altered to include the classic chess pattern from the comics. Uh, did you guys notice this? Because I did not notice this. Yeah, no, I didn't notice it. David, you're shaking your head. You noticed yeah, it? yeah. I, I noticed like the circular thing on his chest. I was like, okay, well, kind of Iron Man-esque. But yeah. The second trilogy of MCU to have the same director for all three films following the Spider-Man films directed by John Watts. Kang's facial scars resemble the markings on his mask from the comics. His face shield also makes his face appear blue. Can you guys clarify that a little bit more of what those markings might mean, Kyle? It's not so much meaning as it's just it's scars. And if you look at the original original versions of Kang with that blue mask, he's got these lines down his face that they and you never could really tell in the comics. They never really said was that on his face or just part of the part of the suit here in the movie, they made it obviously scars on his face from probably many of the battles he's been in. And then when he drops the blue mask, they, they actually stand out more because of it. Gotcha. Okay. Modoc's helmet visually evokes his comic book appearance, primarily with his wide toothy sneer and glowing eyes of doom. And uh, Hope's shorter hairstyle and darker color in this movie was Evangeline Lilly's doing as she wanted to pay tribute to Janet Van Dyne's original pixie style haircut in the comics. Guys, are you, um, were, were you feeling that haircut? I was just kind of curious. Anybody? Yeah, uh, Derek? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying they can't look good on girls, but uh, as much as I love, you know, Evangeline Lilly, um, you know, it, it just doesn't fit her. Not when, you know, unless if you're Joan Jett and, you know, Liza Minnelli about, <laughs> uh, that's about it when you're past 40. Yeah. So otherwise it's for somebody that's in their, you know, teenage twenties. Yeah. What about you, David? I thought it was fine. Um, I, I prefer her with long hair, but, uh, yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> and elf ears. Trust me, what you guys don't know is actually that was the first complaint Kevin had to me about the first trailer when we saw it. How could they cut Evangeline? <laughs> I forgot about that, but you're right. I was feeling, I was feeling, that's what I was feeling. Well, I feel like, she, I felt like she's had it cut prior to it though. Whether she wanted to say that is due to the original hope right. or not, but uh, she's had it short for a while now and I'm not, I'm just not a fan of it. So this film, uh, Ant-Man, uh, The Wasp of Quantumania, Thor, Love and Thunder 2022, and the Marvels 2023 were filmed uh, were filmed the same time with Thor, Love and Thunder in, in Sydney, Australia. The Marvels filmed in Jersey City, New Jersey, Los Angeles, and uh, Buckingshire, England, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania filmed in Atlanta, Georgia, Turkey, and London, England. 
according to Peyton Reed, Modoc almost wasn't in the film. Marvel Studios had been wanting to introduce the villain to the MCU for a while. He was considered for previous projects, but the introduction kept getting postponed. Reed only secured the character for this film after realizing they could use him or rather Darren Cross as Modoc for explaining an in-universe how Kang already knew of him. Pim's Lang, knew of the Pims and the Lang. So I guess that kind of, uh, and speaking of Angeline Lilly, uh, had her first Wasp costume fitting almost three weeks before she had read the script. Uh, that's most of them there, Kyle. I don't know if you've got a couple others you want to throw out there, but that's what I got for you. Four uh, one, trivia. Uh, a couple uh, a couple quick ones. Uh, the reference to um, craving um, citrus by Cassie Lang after she had grown and referencing Scott's craving for orange slices after Captain America Civil War. I think it was like actually a fun little moment there between father and daughter. It's like, I know, right? It's, it's <laughs> you know, so hungry. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is kind of interesting, though. According to Peyton Reed, Corey Stoll agreed to reprise the role of Darren Cross, both to work with the Ant-Man crew again, because as a comics nerd, he knew who Modoc was and loved the idea of getting to play him. The movie's writer, Jeff Loveness, stated on Twitter that he had always wanted to write a tortured classical supervillain burden with a crusade against fate. For all his career, and was very grateful that he got to do so here. Yes, I want to just talk about Corey Stoll as, as Modoc real quick. Obviously, they played it a little over the top, but to find a way to incorporate Modoc feels like this is probably the best way to do it within the MCU <laughs> because it's such an over the top character. I think the only other place where we could have seen it, and there were rumors of it, was Modoc and She Hulk. But I mean, really, this is such an over the top character. Having Corey Stoll do it because he's such a comic nerd and wants to do it, I think was great. Um, David, I, I'm going to ask you, I mean, did you, and did you get, at least get a laugh out of how they set up Modoc in this film? I did. I, I knew beforehand it was Corey Stoll, uh, yeah. but kind of thinking back kind of Monday morning quarterback on it. It's kind of like, I, I wish that Modoc was maybe going to be introduced more as a serious character and maybe more of a, of a heavy in a future MCU project. But, uh, it makes sense what Kevin said that uh, he was essentially connective uh, storyline so that this movie could actually happen and flow better. But uh, I kind of wish that they, they, they would have been, they would have done Modoc a little better, but going back to uh, uh, Kevin's trivia there, um, it, this is kind of trivia, I guess. But uh, one thing I do know about Kevin Feige is that he's a massive back to the future fan. And it's interesting. I never knew that about Peyton Reed that he worked on a, uh, the, the Back to the Future stuff that you talked about. Um, I do know that Kevin Feige, uh, when Back to the Future Part 3 came out, he skipped school, he uh, took the train to New York, and he wore his... Uh, he, he wore blue jeans and he wore his pockets inside out. And uh, he said he came back from the movie theater with the t-shirt that said, uh, I watched Back to the Future back to back to back because he watched the whole marathon when uh, Back to the Future Part 3 came out. Little, little known trivia fact about Kevin, he's pushing really hard for the inside pocket look to come back. <laughs> the inside out pocket. I, you know. Kevin, he's huh? <laughs> 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 any, any thoughts on, on Modoc or any of the trivia, Derek? Um I, again talked about, you know, that's the only thing, like I said, just because whether they were trying to purposely make it look over the top. I think it was the only thing that, like I said, that was probably most distracting. I mean, because it's it seeing the still, like the picture there, it looks a lot better than on screen. 
because on screen it just looked like parts of it like they they didn't even get his like they had like the camera zoomed in and it wasn't clean like where where the headband comes into his side plates of his of his uh suit it just didn't you know but the way they portrayed the character and he was just going from highs and lows and stuff i thought you know it was very well um but i i do have some uh, I don't know, uh, upset or just dissatisfaction to, you know, to going back to like what Kevin was talking about, Louise, I felt this for Patton Oswalt. Like I love him as Modoc in the series and I think he's the perfect voice and I love the way he portrayed the character and I would have preferred to see that. So maybe David will get that version and, you know, cause it's, it's multiverse, right? So you could have all sorts of different versions of Modoc and how yeah, he's made, that'd be right? cool. So, so maybe we'll get a more serious because I feel like Patton Oswalt has that voice range where David Cross. I mean, not saying he can't get that, but I think like Patton Oswalt, even in the cartoon version that we get, it's like Adult Swim. You know, you can get that high pitched voice, but then he can get that real menacing. You know, when he wants to be serious. You know, and I, I think that would be great to see a live action version of that. No, I think that's that's a good point, Derek. But I got to burn off a little Tesseract energy because we got to talk about some of the ties between Ant Man. In the Wasp Quantum Media and the comics. So, guys, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Obviously, there was a lot of little fun things with some of the alien races and things like that, but there wasn't eyes per se, except for I think it is credit to very important versions of the Mortis, Ramata, and the Scarlet Centurion. And we get introduced to the um, group of Kangs or the alternate, the Council of Kangs we see at the end, at the end of that mid-credits trailer. Obviously, I think we're going to see at least each of those three main variants of Kang at some point in the MCU be a big part of either a show or a film. And obviously, we, uh, we get the reveal of the Council's Kang. And I think this is a this is not surprising for a lot of big things that happened in the Kang Dynasty story and things that have happened. Fantastic Four and some other things with Kang, who's kind of one of the more complex villains of the MCU. Um, so I, I'm just curious, David, I want to start with you. What did you think as far as comic connections and what this mid-credits trailer represented as far as tying in with the comic? Uh, I think they did a decent job. Um, we all know that that film is always going to deviate and not be panel for panel and uh, story point, story point, uh, similar to the comics, but I thought they did a good job overall. The Council of Kangs, that was pretty cool to see. Ramatut and then the other two variants that kind of lead the other Kangs that we see in, in that huge arena. I thought that was pretty cool. And and there was a user, I think, on TikTok uh, that pointed out that if you look at the three Kangs there in that image, they're missing parts of themselves, if you look closely. And they're, I think they're trying to point out the fact that the exiled Kang is the one that hurt them. And that's why he was exiled. And um, just overall, I, I thought they were good. It These these end credit scenes, though, did leak online. And I did watch them beforehand. And I think it was the very end uh, with, from the Loki season two, I guess, the, the snippet they cut out. Um, if, if, that is, if this is even part of the show, um, I was kind of confused on it. But then... Once you see the name, clearly you, you kind of know who that character is, and I'm I'm even more hyped for Loki season two because it looks like that Jonathan Majors is going to be a big part of it, and 
I thought, uh, yeah, overall it was, it, they did a pretty good job. Derek, what about you? What about like, as far as ties to the comics that you're familiar with? Um, so, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know enough about Kang, um, you know, to understand, you know, it was, it was interesting when they first introduced him in the Loki series. Right. And we're seeing this and trying to understand what Kang story version we're going to get. Right. Um, you know, what are they going to pull from? What are they going to stay true to? What are they going to deviate from? And what are they going to completely make brand new? Right. So at this point, I don't think there's quote unquote, anything too new. Um, it, it's just the way that they're, you know, kind of spoon feeding us this character. And I really think that's, that that's what's going to be the tie in to all the Marvel movies really having variations of <coughs> Kang um, be the villain for every, you know, major movie or for a good chunk of the major movies to come out. And I think that's how it's going to tie it in until we get our, you know, Kang dynasty or, or whatever version movie uh, where we get everybody finally unite, you know, at the whole infinity war end games uh, conclusion. Um, so, you know, I, I like the way again, because the nice thing about this compared to what poor Josh Brolin had to go through, at least you get to see Jonathan major's face, right. And all the different things that he gets to see in makeup and the different, it is really his range of acting, which is what's going to be really cool with this character. And I really like that. Um, I am surprised um, that they did tie in, at least even at the point that we're getting with the end credit for the Loki series. Cause I remember that's what they were talking about um, when they first were talking about the Disney plus series, right. That they were saying it's all going to be in the same universe, <laughs> but you don't have to watch all the series. Right. And I feel like as we've been progressing, you know, even with the Dr. Strange too, um, with this, if you're not watching the series, a lot of your casual fans are not going to know what's going on or understanding that. And I think that's again, going back to Kevin's point, you know, that that's what's hurting the movies. And that's why fans, you got the separation and all that stuff because you're expecting everyone to understand all this. And it's, it's, it's not a solo movie. Even this movie in itself isn't really a solo movie. I mean, even, even though it was nice to be contained to my, um, uh, the Ant-Man universe, but the fact that we've had two movies lead up to this, like if you just started with this movie in the MCU five with nothing else that we've had, it makes no sense to you. Um, and I think that's the problem they're running into. They're just, there's so much canvas they're trying to tie in. And I think that's again, what is going to hurt them in the long run. And I think it, that's why they're stepping back because they need to reevaluate how they're really connecting all the pieces. Um, and they have to be careful with that. I think here too, and, Kevin, I, I, I want to address this to you because as being the non-comic reader, and I know you, when you you've compared him to Thanos in conversations we've had off mic, and I think the difference between with Thanos and with Kang is Thanos is an incredible character, but Thanos's story is pretty clear cut and straightforward with his goal, quest of the Infinity Gems, wanting to wipe out half the population. And yeah, it gets a little more complicated in the comics, but that's the general gist of it. With Kang, it's so much more complex. And I think in this case, too, this is something like Derek said, we're going to get spoon-fed Kang and we're going to learn a bit, little bit more with each appearance. And I think what it's going to be is we're going to have to go with the, what Marvel is trying to do in this particular with this particular villain is to build it and build it and build it where... 
with the original Infinity War thing, you kind of had this looming presence of Thanos. And we knew that we were going to ultimately reach this threat of Thanos. We know that Kang is already a threat. It's just a matter of building the threat within the MCU. And it's a different approach because you are talking multiverse. You're talking about multiple versions of Kang. So they've got to build it a little differently because it's really a group threat and not really a single person threat, even though it's all just variants of the same person. But what is most intriguing here to me, guys, is what I liked was the fact we see three of the most well-known variants of Kang with Rama Tut, who is a version of Kang who traveled back in time, took over ancient Egypt and became the ultimate pharaoh for that particular timeline, alternate universe that he was from. You have the Scarlet Centurion who was kind of um, the technological one. He, he, he builds some armor based off of some things from Doctor Doom. Sometimes he's a hero, sometimes he's a villain. It's very interesting. Amortis has always been kind of like the peaceful Kang, but he's still always working on his own agenda. So it's I, I like the fact that they take these three well-known versions of Kang from the comics. And yes, I think they are going to get explained in different Marvel films going forward. And I think this is this is the aspect that's different than Thanos. The, Thanos you can explain in one film or in one in moments. Kang, it's going to take time to build this and because it is so complicated and complex and Marvel has created this because of their decision to explore the multiverse to to have also what I think with the Kang dynasty being a stepping stone to yet a bigger thing with which is going to be secret wars when we eventually get to that so this is a little different where everything with the infinity saga led up to Thanos and the infinity saga I think the Kang dynasty while important is still leading to a bigger step and I think, Galactus. <laughs> well, I, no, it's, it's, it's secret wars. I mean, they've already made that very clear, clear, but I think it's a lot for people. I think with people who don't read the comics are just going to have to say, I'm going to have to go along for the ride. I can shed some light on that, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> can I jump in? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to address the, uh, um, I'm going to address the end of Loki. First of all, uh, I was not impressed and nor did I care at all or like how Kang or a version of Kang was introduced in that. And then he gets his head chopped off or he gets killed by, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Sylvie. Uh, Sylvie, right. And he, he acted like he was a 14 year old spoiled boy. And that didn't set a good impression on me from someone not knowing anything about the Kang stuff. And, uh, uh, so coming into this, uh, I was kind of curious where they're going to go with it. And I'm also paying attention to, uh, when I say this, of course, I mean uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Realm, uh, Quantumania. Uh, I'm, I'm paying attention to, okay, so this is the the main big Kang bad here because that's he's in the, in the film for the majority of the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to a couple different things here, trying to understand, first of all, is this the real Kang? Or is it not now, especially since he's talking about how he got um, uh, banished. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Now I know there's more than one Kang. So the other Kangs banished him. Okay. Then he dies at the end of this film. So the villain of Kang that for us, non-comic uh, readers were now like, okay, now you just killed that Kang. Now you just killed this Kang. Did he um, really die? Hold on. Let, let me, let me get through here. I, I know he's going to come back, possibly, whatever. Maybe he's going to become a good Kang and help them out because of what happened. But the problem I'm having with the Kang in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantumania is he keeps mentioning, I was banished. 
I'm going to get back and I'm going to be angry for what they've done to me. Um, they did this to me and I'm angry because I'm banished and blah, blah, blah. He got banished. But what exactly did they do to him for him to be as angry and as vengeful for, do, for him to do the things that he did? They don't cover that at all in this movie. And I went and paid attention a second time to try and figure that out. And so I'm trying to care for this villain. I'm trying to understand his motives. I got more of that with moments of Josh Brolin acting out the character of Thanos and certain tones of his voice of what he was trying to do, you know, and we understand why he wanted to, there are so many memes, so many jokes of like, especially during the pandemic, you're like, I understand why Thanos did what he did, you know? And so his character was sympathetic. I was not sympathetic towards this Kang character at all. And, you know, you could see him crying and he's upset and Jonathan Majors was selling it. I'm just not buying it. That's the problem. And then we get to the uh, end credit scenes. I'm like, okay, there's more Kangs. So are they just going to kill off more Kangs in all these movies? And then is, is the, the Tut version, the main guy? I mean, this, this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around. And I don't want to wait through 10 other movies to figure out like, (laughs) am I supposed to care about this Kang villain now? What's going on? And I understand why they're like, let's make Kang the big villain here because we can have the different versions creating havoc. And this is where I'm getting a little worried about the multiverse now that I got a taste of that really rubbed me the wrong way with um, Dr. Strange, you know, and and especially what they, they, they did with the Scarlet Witch's character. Um, Are they going to do a multiverse where like, Oh, she didn't kill all those people. It didn't matter that Reed Richards and, and all those other people, got killed, you know, it didn't really matter. Right. You know, so this is where I'm starting to get a little weird with the, with the MCU right here. And I love Jonathan majors, but I'm just wondering if they're biting off more that they can chew because now that there's thousands of different Kangs, mm, my issue. Um, should, should we tell him about the thousands of different Reed Richards out there, David? <laughs> <laughs> But that, but that, that's the that's the point Kevin's bringing though. Yeah. It, it's for the casual fan that, and, and even for the there's a lot of comic book fans that just didn't care for that series events the way they do. Right? That's how they we complain about it every time that you know every 10, 15 years is a great reset in comics. Right? And we got to go buy everything else again or start reading. It's like okay, so I, I totally agree with Kevin that you have to give them something to care about. And I, I can I can appreciate that, right? Me, I'm I'm in it to win it, right? I'm I'm just in it for the long haul. I'll 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 suck it up. I may not like some of it. I may I may enjoy all of it. There may be a big payoff, but at the end of the day, to Kevin's point, it may just be us hardcore fans that show up and nobody else. Unlike Endgame and Infinity War, you got everybody talking about it, right? I mean, it was a cultivation, a cultural phenomenon. And 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 I don't know if if they're not going to make it to the finish line to be able to do. I mean, Even my will, wife but. got invested in Infinity War and Endgame. Let's put yeah. it that way, and she's not even so. a Marvel head. Well, <laughs> again, again, though, to your point. I, again, well, the, my point. The point there, though, is too. You still had three phase, three whole phases of film films that built to that and created these superstars with Evans and Hemsworth and brought Robert Downey Jr. back and really got 
got invested in this, these characters. I think that's kind of the thing here. Phase five, we're just starting this trip. We're, we, we are just starting. Correct. And, and that's why I said phase four to, is a failure for them because they pissed off a lot of people and just saying, instead of coming out and saying, we're resetting everything, everyone, you have to understand what's going on here. You had this huge event after five years of people not being in the universe and all of a sudden coming back. Then that's the entire galaxy. It's not just Earth, right? I mean, that was the entire universe, right? And you got all this stuff. We have to level set. P- and people need to understand that. They don't, right? They're just thinking to your, what you mentioned earlier. It's just one big hit after another, and it's all this same thing. They're not getting that. They're not comic book fans. They don't understand that, that this is what happens in comics, right? So, so again, you have, to, you have to tell your audience what your big picture is. You don't have to give all your secrets, but just letting them know, hey, we're going we're gonna to test the waters with some stuff. We're going to do some things. Or they can come out now and say, you know what? Phase four, we we didn't we, we rubbed the people the wrong way. Hey, guys, we're, we're, you know this is why we're resetting with phase five. We're going to take it slower. We're going to make sure our story really fits the needs of not just the comic book fans, but the MCU fans and the casual fans. That's what they need to do. David, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I, Kevin is insane. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin is insane. Um. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I kind of disagree with Kevin and Derek on that. Uh, I don't think it's too complicated. I don't think it's too. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's kind of rebooting. I, I think. I think the audience is kind of on track with what they're doing, and I thought it was fairly kind of obvious that the exiled Kang is Kang the Conqueror, and he's coming back. I mean that. I mean, they didn't spell it out for us, but I, I feel like that's the primary Kang and Ramatut and everyone else is just kind of the ancillary multiverse Kangs that aren't really going to matter in the end. Um, but uh, overall, I, I don't I don't think the MCU really did a full reset. I, I just think that they had to kind of usher in the new kind of storyline and unfortunately, they didn't have Kang in Phase Four, so there there was no buildup. But we don't know what they're going to do with Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars and everything leading up to, I guess, the event level Avengers films. But uh, I don't know. There, there's other issues I think that, that people have with these new films in Phase Four, and probably in Phase Five with uh, how Marvel has gone about doing these new films and and kind of continuing on. Um, the MCU. Um, so I, I don't think I, I didn't see that big of an issue, but um, there was a big difference there. But going back to what I, I think Kevin or Kyle pointed out that after Endgame, I mean, there's going to be a drop off, and I was expecting a drop off. And it, it's it's a miraculous thing what the MCU has done, did up to the point of Endgame is just unprecedented and. Most of those films were good to great. And um, now I, I guess we're, we're seeing a little bit of um, fatigue in a way, burnout, yeah. I guess. People have said on the podcast tonight. But um, it's just so hard to make good films consistently, time after time. And these characters that are now that are going to have their own standalone films that they're going to push more and more. We got the Marvels coming out later this year. I'm really interested to see how that does. But, of course, it has the female team aspect, which we haven't gotten yet. And that might be that might have the whole kind of social 
ramification that it's going to make like $2 billion, you know, because people want to kind of support that type of film. But um, yeah, that those, those are my thoughts on it. I think it's an interesting time for the MCU. I'm, I think they they are adjusting as they go. Um, before before they when they started it with Iron Man, they had no idea. But Iron Man could have flopped, and been, now they they have expectations. The show wouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, I, but I think I think it's it's interesting. I'm I'm curious to see how they play out. I think I think with fans like you, Kevin, who are not so much with the knowledge of comic books, I think. I think you're going to the MCU is asking something of people that I don't know if they have the ability to do anymore. And that's play the long game with, with, with storytelling. And so I think this is going to be a very interesting experiment to see what happens here. Of course, we all know that the minute we see a hand pop on the screen and three claws pop out of it, the whole game changes again anyway, (laughs) but that's, I think that's a little ways away yet, but we'll get there. But guys, I want to, Derek, do you want to add something real quick? All I was going to say is, to to your guys' point, too, what made Phase 1, 2, and 3 so successful was that all the movies were origin stories for the first two phases, if you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. We're not getting a single single one in Phase 4, Phase 5. It is all either the character had their intro in a series, and now they're coming to the big screen, or it's... There, these new characters like Cassie Lang and stuff are being incorporated to the to the old guard, right? We're still having Doctor Strange, you know, when we got Chavez and, and all that stuff. We're not getting what people want. We want it. We want just a complete movie by itself. It doesn't need to tie into everything else. Just give us this this new character, you know, and let's see how they deal with it. And we're not getting a single one. I think again, that's that's what's upsetting is because they're they're not doing again the whole Marvel trope and the Marvel formula. But you got to have some of it. Because otherwise, there's not going to be anything for you know some of the you know things that Kevin really liked in uh, the phase first three phases. They're now they're leaving Kevin out because that you know you still got to cater to them still, right? I mean, just because it's the sandbox I appreciate doesn't mean I, I should ignore Kevin's interests and what he's interested in. And I think that's I think again that's where they're failing. Um, and I'm hoping phase five, like you pointed out, they made all these announcements. Well. You know, let's let's get some other stuff. Everything doesn't have to be tied to a series or something else or this big grandiose movie. Just give us a simple, you know, Echo movie would have been fine, right? Or whatever. I mean, they I guess Eternals was kind of its own thing, but that I mean that was you know twelve people, oh. and that was the problem because it was you know trying to do it that way. Derek, we know we need to be scared when we start seeing Ezra Miller running through all the Marvel films. but on that note we're going to close out this phase and go into phase four and get everybody's final thoughts on ant-man and the wasp quantumania first of all a big thank you to our uh, panel of podcasters tonight um it's been a lot of fun talking about a lot of different things with the mcu especially since we are kicking off what is really the next big major phase of the mcu with phase five and it's going to be an interesting ride to see what happens i think we got a lot of announcements coming later this year we're gonna have a lot of stuff to cover in true believers but guys, um, I just want to give you guys each moment to kind of like give your final thoughts on Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, um, anything else that we might not have covered in, in in this podcast, and we covered a lot. Um, Derek, thank you for joining us. What are your final thoughts on Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania? I was going to say, I, I think uh, uh, everyone that's been listening, if you've been sticking with us for the past hour and a half, knows how I feel. Like I said, it's a fun movie. I think it's great. Um, again, where they're laying the groundwork and what I'm seeing is, like I said, every movie is going to be tied to some version of Kang. And this was his true origin story. You know, you know, to Kevin's point, 
got a little taste of it in the Loki series. And it was, you know, maybe not the right approach, but at least here I felt like, okay, we've got a little bit more. Yeah. To Kevin's point, right. They, they didn't give us why he was banished and why we should feel for him. Like we did with Thanos, at least relate a little bit where you could see, well, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can at least, you know, kind of understand his logic. Um, but I think that's, that's what we're going to get over the next 10 movies is a little bit of Kang, a little bit of Kang and why he's going into this version and that version and, and why we're eventually going to get some big payoff, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, overall, again, I, I like the movie. And again, I thought it was a great origin story of Kang. David, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We, we don't get to do this near enough, but what were your final thoughts on uh, Ammon and the Wasp Quantum? Yeah, sure, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it, it's a fun movie. Like I said at the very beginning, uh, if you want to keep your streak alive like Kevin, go check it out. Um, I definitely recommend it uh, to watch it in, in maybe IMAX, the biggest theater you can. It is a spectacle, um, very, very colorful film. Um, and I would say go watch it. Uh, if you're an MCU fan, you definitely want to continue with the story and kind of be caught up with everything. The post credits, it, it boggles my mind still to see people get up right as the film ends. Oh, they, I know, they right? They show the, <laughs> the graphics for the, the, for the credits before the mid credit. And just see people leave. And it's like, I know you haven't seen this movie before because I'm here opening day and they just leave. And it's it's so kind of puzzling. And it's like the 31st film, guys. It's the 31st film. They do this for every film. Where are you going? I know you haven't seen. Or maybe they did. Maybe they saw the leak online. I don't know. But uh, I saw it, but I still stuck around to see it uh, in uh, full depth. And uh, yeah, go. I, I, I say go check it out still if you have it, if you're on the on the edge mr reitzel would you care to give us your louise uh final thoughts <laughs> <laughs> oh you should go see it <laughs> uh, you know it, i always if you're a marvel fan of the M mcu i recommend seeing them all opening in if you can opening theater and or opening run anyway in the theater and i do wish that my immediate area had a really good theater that showed IMAX 3D, but I have to travel like 50 minutes south now, and it sucks. Uh, I miss living in the Atlanta area for that reason only, and I wish I actually could have seen this movie in 3D because of the effects alone. I'm sure it was uh, pretty amazing, and I wish I could have done that, but um, you know, I, 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 it is fun, and there's a lot of really fun character moments in this movie between uh, the main cast that I, I really liked. Uh, the woman, the warrior woman, I don't, I'm forgetting her name right now, she was phenomenal. I hope she comes back in another way because I really liked her character. I love the little globby dude too. I thought he was funny and the guy that can read minds. This is the highlight of this film for me was the, the new characters that we got to meet, the, the weird little aliens. Because I kind of got a, uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy vibe because of that. Because we're in the cosmic universe, sort of speak, I guess, outside of Earth. And so it was neat to see a lot of those characters have moments, you know, even the broccoli great uh but uh yeah you know i had my issues with it but uh you know i don't know when i'll rewatch it i don't know if i'm going to be what buying that blu-ray as soon as it comes out because you know if you're going to get money if you want to get money out of me that's that's the way i kind of judge things so but uh um paul rudd is Ant-Man. I love Paul Rudd. I was just talking, we were having a discussion at work today about uh, some of his other roles. And one of my favorite movies he's done is I love you, man. Great romantic comedy with Jason, uh, Jason Siegel in there as well. And, and, uh, 
Uh, I just think he is, he's got a thing about him, uh, everyday guy that I like. And I got to see, I like seeing that in Ant-Man as well. Uh, so anyway, those are my final thoughts. For me, Ant-Man was a fun sci-fi ride. I think it's going to be a huge setup movie for what is happening in Phase 5. Jonathan Majors, to me, it nailed the Conqueror aspect of this version of Kang, Kang the Conqueror. I'm very curious to see what the, the long road that Marvel is building because I really think this is where the difference is, is that you know they could get away with some things in, in the Infinity Saga because nobody has tried something that quite to that epic scale before and that connected. So now, now it's the adjustment on the fly, and I think Marvel has got a very interesting road ahead of them. And I'm gonna, I'm very curious, and I think that's why I, what, for me, one of the big reasons why I stick with the MCU is because I'm curious to see how they're going to take the next direction. And unlike DC, they are not resetting their universe every five years. But that's, that's a whole other podcast. But I do want to thank everybody for listening. Um, you can find True Believers on the Fandom Podcast Network. Visit our True Believers group on Facebook where we try to keep you updated on all the MCU happenings. Uh, you can subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube where you'll find this video for this show. Just give a, go to Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Give us a share. You can find the master feed for all of our podcasts on fpnet.podbean.com. Of course, there is the Fandom Podcast Network Facebook group. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can find Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram or on Twitter at fanpodnetwork. Of course, I am Kyle. You can find me on Twitter at akylew or on Instagram at akylefandom. Kevin, where can people find you when you're not podcasting? You're on the Fandom Podcast Network. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. And of course you can find me here on Facebook. David, again, thank you for joining us on kind of short notice. I know this is going to be a busy night for you as it is Mando Eve. And you're yeah, Mando. The countdown is on to that, but can you tell us where people can find you on social media and you're a great podcast on, out there on. Uh, you can find us pretty much everywhere on every social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, TikTok. Uh, Star Stuff Podcast on Facebook. We have a group. We have a page. Star Stuff Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. Celebrating our fifth year anniversary next month. Yeah, congratulations! Way to go, yeah, Kevin. We're on six. We just hit six, didn't we? Yeah. 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 Time, really time congrats flies. there, though, David. Yeah. Thank you. Congrats, very much. Congrats to you, David. Of course, you can find Derek on What a Piece of Junk. Really, nothing needs to be more said about that. But <laughs> That's about it. Well, we'll be all going to do this here a little bit again, yeah, since David's doing that. But we're doing ours on Thursday um, since all of uh, Scott, uh, Nathan, and myself are a little busy tomorrow. Plus, it's obviously just everyone will be busy watching it. But we'll have our watch-along party on Thursday. Uh, you'll be able to follow, um, watch it live with us. Uh, just join the Facebook group or, again, hit up at the uh, YouTube slash Fandom Podcast Network. So. Just a reminder, too, uh, for those that are excited about uh, um, uh, Mandalorian, uh, Kyle and I are going to be doing our Culture Clash live on Friday nights, uh, doing a whole spoiler reaction show for uh, Mandalorian. So make sure you check that out. And that is YouTube exclusive. So, uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe and you'll get the notifications. And more importantly, we want you to be there for the live show so we can uh, read your comments and uh, get your feedback. Yeah, the Mando Watch on the Culture Clash, as I like to call it. Um, it's been thanks again so much, guys. Uh, really appreciate you all coming on this journey through the Quantum Verse. Um, just to close out, as always, um, uh, thank you to all you wonderful true believers out there. Um, as Stanley would say, Excelsior, true believers, and as always, as we like to say around here, 
make ours marvel and even more importantly thank you spider-man 